Well, as Jay has said, all around the world today, yesterday, today, people are gathering, followers of Jesus are gathering to celebrate His presence, to celebrate the hope and the joy that is found only in Him, to celebrate the story from creation to redemption, anticipating its final fantastic chapter, and praying together what Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, you may have had the opportunity to travel to a foreign country and go to a service, a fellowship, a gathering there, and, uh, and you know, just worship together with people from another culture, another language. And you may have not understood that language, but still you had this kind of sense that you were a part of it. You were maybe surprised at the way they worshipped, you didn't understand what they were saying, but there was this sense that you were a part of them and they were a part of you. And that is because we share Jesus together. I just came back from Greece where uh, uh, my wife and I were with the founding pastor of the chapel, Bill and Darlene Schroeder, and we were together with 135 of our our workers, send missionaries from across Europe as we gathered for a, a conference together. 135 people, 15 different nations, many languages, many cultures, and we were worshiping together, we were studying God's Word together, we were splitting up into small groups and just talking it through, what does this mean for us? We were having a lot of fun together, we toured Corinth, the ancient city of Corinth, and heard about Paul's uh, work there in Corinth. It was a really special time, but as my wife said, it was like a taste of heaven, just all these different cultures, different languages together, worshiping Jesus. And that is because, as Jay said, there is no other name by which we must be saved. There's no other name by which we can be saved. Jesus has made it possible for us, through faith, to become daughters and sons in His kingdom. And together with believers from all over the world, to be co-heirs in that kingdom There is no other name that binds us together in unity. There is no other name that propels us to the unreached and to the vulnerable. There is no other name that empowers us for service. We are a global revolutionary movement conspiring to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to captives and comfort for those who mourn. In essence, to be God's agents of healing in a world of hurt. Fifteen years ago, we um, found about 50 acres of deforested and denuded hilly land that was dry and desolate. It was abandoned by its owners. Years of slash-and-burn farming had leached all the nutrients out of the soil, had weakened the hillsides so that when the monsoon rains came, there was landslides, and they just left it. They, They left it. It was unproductive, so it was abandoned. And that was exactly what we wanted to find. That was the land that we wanted, land that no one could grow food on. And we made arrangements, and we purchased that 50 acres. And over time... We in this area, it's, it's a tropical jungle uh, in Southeast Asia, an island in Southeast Asia, and we are working among Muslim peoples, Muslim peoples who for centuries have been at war with the, the ruling 
people in that country, people who have been denied access to clean water, who've been denied access to health care, who've been denied access to education. And they've been in struggle with uh, the, the people of that country. 1.3 million people, where when we entered it, we didn't know anyone who was a follower of Jesus. Over time, our team planted nearly one or 10,000 hardwood and fruit trees. We brought healing to that land. They have naturally terraced the land with high-nutrient hedgerows and restored the land with organic and sustainable methods that produce fruit and rows and rows of vegetables called slope farming or hillside farming. And there's specific techniques to do that so that you don't leach the land of the nutrients, so that you don't um, denude it and, and uh, cause it to go into landslides. We have used this farm to train local farmers and small families how to feed their communities and how to be good stewards of the land that God has given. So we bring local farmers in for a week at a time and we teach them these hillside, the slope farming techniques of how they can, they can plant different crops at different levels so that they maintain the, dignity or the, the integrity of the land and that they can stay on it for generations. And as we teach them those skills in goat farming and, and other techniques, we share Bible stories with them, Bible stories of God and creation and, and the hope and the healing that can be found in Jesus. Oops, if you can go back to that slide. This, um, this last slide here is called a faith garden. Now, faith stands for food always in the home. And uh, our workers there have, have developed a technique where they can, for 12 months of the year, they can plant different things in this garden so that there's always food available, always food in the home. And these faith gardens then lead to faith discussions. And this builds trust, and this has enabled us to bring medical clinics into some of these villages and to bring literacy and to bring water projects and different um, ways that we can get underneath and serve them. The religious leaders of this community and of these communities, they know who we are and they know what we are doing and yet they still invite us into their communities because of the love that is being expressed, because of the presence of Jesus that is being expressed. They want that even though they know who we represent and who we serve and what is happening among their people. Jesus taught his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What was he thinking? What was he expecting God's kingdom to look like as it would break into our lives and break into our communities? Well, for one small insight into that, I'd like to look at Jesus' words in John chapter 7. But before going there, we need to get some historical context. So I'd like you to take your Bibles or your electronic device, your phone, or your tablet, whatever you have, and turn to Ezekiel 47. This is the historical context that we need to understand what Jesus says in John 7. So let's go to Ezekiel 47. And while you're going there, let me give you just a little bit of background of, on Ezekiel. He was carried away into Babylonian exile. He was taken away from the temple where they understood God to be. He was taken away from the land that God had promised the people of Israel. And he was taken away into exile, into this foreign country, and separated, as he understood it, from God. And yet, in that foreign country, in that exile, Ezekiel receives a number of visions. Now, his concern was that Israel, through idolatry and through just their own 
grasping at control, had consistently turned away from God. And, and Ezekiel was just wondering, has God turned away from Israel? Has God abandoned Israel? And yet through these visions, he sees that God, true to his character, has never abandoned his people, but he keeps on pursuing them. So in chapters 34 to 37, God gives these these visions of, of how he wants to turn their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And he gives another vision of how he, he blows through this graveyard of dry, dead bones and he makes these people alive again. It is these visions of transformation, of becoming new humans. This vision of hope and healing is further played out in Ezekiel 47. And so go with me there and we'll just read the first uh, number of verses there. Ezekiel 47, beginning in verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out to the north gate and led me outside, around outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. Now, just stop there for a minute. Water in the, in the Bible, well, water in creation symbolized chaos, the fearful and the unknown. But here in this vision, water is transformed to symbolize, symbolize the idea of God being made known. So water here actually represents the Holy Spirit. And this water is flowing east from the temple. Now, east in the Bible is the direction that represents our human condition. When, when Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, they were sent east where they encountered chaos, disruption, and disorder. East was this devastating reach for control that has resulted in chaos, not order, and in death, not life. This is the human condition. So going on, uh, Ezekiel 47, verse 3. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, and he led me through water that was now knee deep. He measured off another another thousand, and he led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now the river was Now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one can cross. And then he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. It transforms it. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Englam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. 
And every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Notice the progression over time of this river. At first it's ankle deep and then it gets to be knee deep and then it gets to be waist deep and then it's so deep he can't even swim in it anymore. It's so big. There is, there is journey, there is time, there is development. It is an instant The water, the Spirit, brings life wherever it goes. He says in verse 8, When it empties into the sea, the Dead Sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Now, the Dead Sea is 25% mineral, so there are no things that can live in it. It's also why you can float in it without effort. But the Spirit transforms the sea into life-supporting and a redeemed sea where there are fish of many kinds. And the fruit trees along this river, they produce fruit for food and leaves for healing. Now, I just want to pause and note here for a minute and just remind us of the context into which Ezekiel is receiving this vision. Ezekiel had been taken east into captivity. He'd been taken away from what he'd known. He'd taken been away from the temple of God. He'd been taken away from what he understood to be the presence of God. He'd been taken east into, the, into captivity. There are people experiencing that same thing right now. We have many um, friends and co-workers in Ukraine, Ukrainians, who were living on the southeast side of the country in those four regions that have now been taken over by Russia, or claimed by Russia. And uh, some of those people who were living especially close to the border were forcibly taken out of their villages and east into Russia. They are now settled into villages and relocation camps there and awaiting what's going to happen next. But into that very context, into that kind of captivity, is the vision given by God. And the message is not a message of escape from our suffering. The water isn't heading to the temple. The water isn't heading to holiness and safety. The water is running towards the suffering and the vulnerable, the parched land and the poisoned sea. And Ezekiel is invited to move with the Holy Spirit to bring hope and to bring healing. Now, Ezekiel, he had to follow. He had to step into this water not knowing where it was going. He wasn't told, hey, look at that sea. Look at the sea out there and, and see how redeemed it is. Or look at how deep and wide this river is and the fruit trees and the healing and the hope. No, Ezekiel was just asked, hey, can you step into the stream? And he had to take that first step. And then that second step. And the water was getting higher. And he had to keep on following and discovering what the Holy Spirit was doing in terms of redeeming the land, in terms of bringing hope and healing. Okay, that's the background. Now, turn to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, we find uh, the Israelites celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this was a week-long feast in Jerusalem. People would sleep in tents, and then every day they would come to the, the tabernacle, the temple, um, for this ritual. People would gather, the priests would fill these giant cisterns with water, and as the people would sing and worship, as we were just doing, the priests would dump the water 
it would go down the steps and leave the temple and, and head out east into the city. On the seventh day, they would do this seven times. And so there's a lot of water flowing down the steps of the temple, people around, worshiping, singing. In this very moment, Jesus stands up and he says in John chapter 7, verse 37, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, and streams of living water will flow, wait for it, not from the temple, but from within them. The streams of living waters will flow from within them. And then John, just to make sure that we got it, adds this editorial note, and he says, By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. This Feast of Tabernacles was reenacting the vision of Ezekiel, retelling the story of how even while in, in exile, even while in, in idolatry, God continued to pursue His people. God continues to pursue His people. They were reenacting this vision of Ezekiel. And right in it, Jesus says, listen, I am the source. I am the living water. There is no other name by which people can be saved. There is no other name by which people can be healed and redeemed. The source is Jesus, and He resets the vision for the temple. The temple is no longer this building or this gathering or this event or these programs or this place. The temple is now us, you and me, filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the water is flowing, it's not flowing in spite of us and our, our hang-ups. It's not flowing around us. It is flowing, it is to flow through us. We, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And His healing is flowing through us. So what was Jesus thinking when he said, when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think in part, when God's kingdom comes, that is where the powerfully healed, you and me, become powerful healers. Where God transforms your story and brings healing to you so that you can join with the Holy Spirit to bring healing to others. We work um, in this, on this farm and in this particular area, and I'd like to just briefly tell you the story of these two guys. On, your right hand, on the right-hand side of that picture is Joseph. Now, Joseph grew up on the far um, western end of the island, and Joseph grew up hating Muslims. Uh, his people were at war with Muslims. They were fighting over land. They were fighting over uh, dominance and power. And uh, when he was in his teens, he joined a group that carried bolo knives, these long knives of that particular region. And they made a vow. He and his, his buddies, they made a vow that if they ever met a Muslim, they would attack him and kill him. That's the environment under which Joseph grew up. Now, God, in His amazing grace and His <laughs> amazing ways, introduced Joseph, but created an environment, a situation where Joseph was introduced to a man who used to be a Muslim but was now a follower of Jesus, this man that he was supposed to hate. 
was now a follower of Jesus. And over time, this man shared the good news, um, was the presence of Jesus to, to Joseph and shared the, the message of Jesus with Joseph. And Joseph became a follower of Jesus. And he came to worship Jesus. He accepted Jesus as his Lord. And he gave up his farming. And he came and he worked on our farm. He led our farming program for many years. So one day, our team leader there, Gus, is uh, they're, they're working up on, on the hillside. They're, they're uh, planting some hardwood trees, and they're, they're working together, and he's got Joseph over here, and then he has on the other side, on your left side of the screen, Alim. <clears throat> now, Alim grew up on the other side of the island. Alim grew up in a rebel camp. Alim was a child soldier. He was trained to kill the people, that Joseph, Joseph's people. Alim came to university um, and was staying at the, the uh, uh, mosque, living at the, at the mosque at the university. And uh, our team, uh, uh, together with this farm, we also have a university ministry where we um, tutor Muslim students to help them get into university and then to help them get through their courses. And so we have this four-year tutoring program there. And Alim joined that group, but his mission was to disrupt it. It was to drive the Muslim students away from that group. And our team quickly realized that and found out, about, and they had to make a decision. Are we going to push him away? Or are we going to, you know, tell them not to associate with Alim, don't have anything to do with him? Or are we going to just love him and see what happens? And they chose to love him. One day, one morning, when Alim was cooking, making breakfast, he, has a, he had a vision. And he had a vision of Jesus. And he did not know what to do with that. He did not know what this meant, but he knew who to talk to. And so he came to Gus and he said, I just had this vision. I don't know what it means. And Gus was able to share the gospel with him, was able to, to talk, just walk him through who Jesus is and what he can do for his life. And Alim chose to follow Jesus. So Gus is up on the mountainside, and he's got Joseph on one side, and he's got an Alim on the other side, and these men hated each other, grew up hating each other, but were transformed by the Holy Spirit so that they now both love Jesus, and they're now both working together to bring hope and to bring healing to their community. Both men are finding ways to restore the land, to feed families, to bring peace to their warring clans, and to bring people into the kingdom through faith in Jesus. Their wounded lives were transformed by Jesus, and now they are being used to bring healing and transformation to others. Bridgetown Community Church pastor Tyler Stanton has put it this way, by his wounds, by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. And by our wounds, we join with the Holy Spirit in bringing healing to the nations. Stanton goes on to say, it is not necessarily your gifting or your skills that make you an excellent candidate to be used by the Holy Spirit to bring hope and healing to others. It is your wounds. By His wounds, we are healed. By our wounds, we bring healing into the world. So what does it look like for God's kingdom to come into our communities, to come into our lives? Ezekiel helps us to see that it is like a river whose source is Jesus, for there is no other name. Flowing from God's temple, which is us, you and me. 
towards chaos and uncertainty, towards the vulnerable, overcoming barren wastelands and bringing healing. So a couple of final thoughts. If you are not already doing so, I invite you, I challenge you to pray the Lord's Prayer every day and to just ask the Holy Spirit, what does it mean for me to join you in bringing hope and healing to my community? What does it mean for me to join you in bringing hope and healing to the unreached, those who have little or no access to the gospel? What does it mean for your kingdom to come here and now? and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Secondly, it's not necessarily your skills that make you a great candidate. It is your wounds. It is the transformation that Jesus has brought in your life. That's not something that you hide or you regret. That is something that the Holy Spirit wants to use for you to connect with and bring healing to others. How might your wounds be used by the Holy Spirit to bring hope and healing to someone else? And finally, the healing flow of the Holy Spirit moves towards chaos and conflict. It moves towards the vulnerable. Where are you putting your energy and your time into? Towards safety or towards the vulnerable? Towards those with plenty of resources or towards those who have little or no access to the gospel? Just as Ezekiel was invited into the stream, not knowing exactly where it was going, so too we are invited into the healing flow of the Holy Spirit as it moves eastward towards deadness in need of redemption. Ezekiel's vision is your invitation. Will you step into that healing flow of the Holy Spirit toward those who are beyond the reach of any local church? to those who don't know the name of Jesus and don't know who to ask about the name of Jesus? Because there is no other name by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Father, wow, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for saving us, transforming us, taking our stories and transforming them into new stories, into new life, a life of hope, a life of healing. Thank you for this vision that tells us that this isn't an an, an immediate thing. It isn't automatic and it doesn't just happen all at once. This is a process. There is time, there is journey, there is development. Your kingdom coming is a journey, is a process. And Father, we want to join you in that process of bringing hope, of bringing healing to those who don't yet know you. So I pray for everyone in this room and those watching online that as they go into this week and as they pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Holy Spirit, that you would show them what that actually means for them this week. And as we lift up your name, we ask you to draw many to yourself in worship and in surrender. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power and for your presence with us now. And we pray this in the name, the only name, by which we can be saved. Amen.